want to add my uh, happy Mother's Day to you mothers, to, to Gina, uh, the mother of our children. I remember I told my mom she was going to watch on the internet. I said, now mom, I'm going to give you a special shout out in front of everybody. And I made this big deal and I called her that day. She said, yeah, I forgot to look. So mom, if you're out there, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Please turn in your Old Testaments to the book of Judges, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, book of Judges, chapter 2, 8, and and just kind of, we're going to flip over one page and just read a little bit from chapter 3, Judges 3, 7 through 11, as we continue our series of living by faith in unsteady times. Judges 2... Verse 8, and these are the very words of God to me and to you. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnaharis in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And after that... The whole generation that had been, had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning they had, the whole generation of Joshua died, another generation grew up that did not know the Lord, nor what the Lord had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. And they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered him them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they would no longer be able to militarily resist. Whenever the Lord, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them and they were in great distress. And then chapter three, verse seven, and the people of Israel did what was evil In the sight of the Lord, they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan. I don't know how you say that. (laughs) King of Mesopotamia. I had it all ready before I read. He sold them into slavery, and the people of Israel served that man eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a judge, a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushon Rishayeth, to the king of Mesopotamia into his hand. And his hand 
prevailed over that king, so the land had rest for 40 years. And then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. I got a question for you to start out with. What does the off-ramp from God normally look like in people's lives? Let me say that again. What does the off-ramp from God normally look like? The book of Judges shows what it looks like in our hearts as people turn away from God and as they serve other gods or, or idols. Now, a lot of people think it's, it's just as simple as this. You know, one day they just decided that they were, they were going to be done with Yahweh God, the true God, and they were going to serve idols. They just kind of went off the deep end one day and loved other gods. That is not what the book of Judges teaches us. The book of Judges says there is a first step that happens in our lives before we take the off-ramp to leave our God for other gods or idols. And that first step is a growing disinterest in God and a relationship with God. And, and I would like to give you the roadmap. I want you to get your pens ready. You're going to write down some words. So you'll kind of have these, write them in your bulletin. On the, the back page of the bulletin is, is a note for taking notes for this sermon. I want to give you the roadmap of Israel's off-ramp from God. Write down these words. The words are disinterest. Write that down. Disinterest. Followed by displacement. Meaning other gods. Displaced God. Disinterest. Displacement. Distress. And finally, deliverance. And what we're going to do is we're going to go from disinterest to full-on displacement of God by, by other gods. And we're going to go from displacement to what the text calls great distress. And then from distress to deliverance that comes from God. So let's start with this this disinterest, this growing disinterest in God that leads to a displacing of him by idols. Judges 2.10, and Joshua and his generation died and they were buried and there arose a generation in Israel that did not know the Lord, nor did they know all that God had done for Israel. I don't know about you, but how can this be? This is the generation after Joshua. You know, Moses' generation, Joshua, and then a whole generation that does not know the Lord or the things that God has done for Israel. How can this be? Well, Joshua's generation was more faithful, and we read that all through the book of Joshua, except for one thing. It was exactly what God said, be careful of this one thing. They played a little too fast and loose with idols. And their children were taking it all in. That's kind of scary, isn't it? 
And that generation left all these Canaanite gods, left all these Canaanite, these temples to other gods, left the high places, left the altars, left the Asherah poles, all intact and left those people in the land who passionately pursued these grotesque gods of the Canaanites. They were not supposed to leave all that in the land. God said, all that, those other gods, out, pushed out because they will become, quote, snares and traps for you spiritually. And that's what the book of Judges is about. And that's exactly uh, what happened. And we find that they didn't really teach the next generation very well because not only did this generation not know the Lord, but they didn't know all that the Lord had done for Israel. And, and on this Mother's Day, uh, I want to say on behalf of so many male people in this sanctuary, thank you mothers and grandmothers who care about truth and your children, who care about God's Word and the truth and your grandchildren, and carefully teach your children and grandchildren and have them in church to learn and grow and and worship with God's people so they can know all about God so that they might come to know God and know all that God had done has done for us and for the people in the Bible Look, the, the book of Judges, it is certainly a history. It's a, it is a, a very detailed account of, of every one of these deliverers that God sends one after another. Some, are, some judges aren't in, in the book of Judges, but the, the total is 15, but there's 12 in the book of Judges. It's a very copious account of all this, this history, but the book of Judges is so much more than history. It is a book about our hearts with God. It's a book about not only our hearts with God, but our hearts for our children and the generations that follow. It's a book about an off-ramp from God and, and how distraction becomes disinterest in the Lord. And it all starts in, in chapter 2. There's a word in chapter 2 and there's a word in chapter 3 that are the key words. The word in chapter 3 is the word know. They did not know the Lord. The, the key word in chapter 3 is forgot. They forgot the Lord. Judges 2.10, and there arose a generation in Israel right after Joshua's generation was buried the next generation did not know the Lord. And um, you got to understand, the, in the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in, the word know, to know, K-N-O-W, maybe it means something a little different than we use the word know. Usually when we use the word know, we're talking about information. We know something. You know, we, that has come into our mind. We kind of have grasped it. We know about it. This, this is not that word to know about. It is the word yada 
And it is about more, it includes information, but it's about more than information. It means to really know, personally know, stay with me, experientially know, intimately know, maybe even passionately know, like we know somebody, not just know about them. This is, this is yada. By the way, uh, Jotter Bruno Santos, uh, from Brazil, one of our interns read the New Testament lesson this morning. When I first met him, I said, now what is, what kind of a name is that? I'm very culturally sensitive, you can tell. What kind of a name is that? Jotter. And he told me very quickly, my father was at RTS many years ago. Um, and my, I am named after the Hebrew word yada this word. And he informed me it means to know intimately. That's kind of a cool name, Jotter. So y'all can call him a, a Jotter, excuse me. You, we can, you can call him Jotter or you can just call him, hey Yada, come over here to know. Old Testament scholar Herbert Wolf says the next generations did not know God in a real and vital way. He goes on to say, people cannot thrive on the spiritual parent power of their parents. We don't ride anybody's coattails spiritually. We have to know God personally, experientially. He says, each generation must personally experience the reality of God. You know, if you just kind of fast forward a couple of books um, beyond where we are in Judges to 1 Samuel... In chapter 2 and verse 12, if you want to look there, it talks about two young men named Hophni and Phinehas. And there's this really poignant parallelism of this word yada, this word to know. Um, Hophni and Phinehas were the, were the two sons of the high priest named Eli. Eli is a big figure in the Old Testament. And Eli is very faithful to God, but his sons are not. In fact, it says in first, first and they become priests, you know, they're preachers too. Um, says in 1 Samuel 2, this is what it says about them. They, they were scoundrels. That's what the ESV says. They were scoundrels. Um, they were worthless men, actually, the ESV says. Some others say scoundrels. And it says in 1 Samuel 2.12, they did not know the Lord. They were preachers and they didn't know the Lord. Yada. One scholar, Matthew McCauley, says, and I love the way he puts it, he says, I guarantee that these two young men knew all about the Lord right? They were the sons of the high priest. He says, you've heard of PKs before. I'm glad my daughters are uh, away today. Pastor's kids, PKs. He says, these weren't even just PKs. These were HPKs, high priest kids. You know, this is, this is amazing. He says, they were Sunday school brats. You know, who knew all the right answers in Sunday school. But they did not know the Lord personally, experientially. And they had no regard for the holiness of God. And you read what Hophni and Phinehas did in their selfish acts 
in the midst of God's people and how they were destroyed. You know, they say there's a difference between knowing about the Lord and knowing the Lord. And that's what yada is about here. There was a whole generation that really experientially didn't know the Lord and did not know really about the Red Sea opening, really didn't know about the manna like like they should have known about and all that God did for them in in the wandering and and all that God did in the conquest of the the promised land. And um, it looks a lot more like like being distracted and becoming disinterested in God. And finally, it looks like a disconnect from Yahweh God. And y'all, this thing we're talking about here is not a gradual thing. I mean, excuse me, it's, it is a gradual thing. Like these people, nobody wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to leave Jesus today. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up in the Old Testament and says, you know what, what a beautiful day. I think I'm going to leave Yahweh today. No, this is a long process that is going on in the hearts of people. Distraction, disinterest, disconnect. And you might think, not me, yuck. Leave Yahweh God, the God of grace, the God of the Exodus, the God of Passover. Leave Yahweh God for, for Baal. B-A-A-L, Baal is the way you're supposed to say it unless you're a southerner. I, I wouldn't leave the God of grace for, for Baal. I think we're tempted to do that all the time. I think every single person in here is tempted to do that all the time. Whatever you love the most, whatever you give your heart to, your passion to, whatever you rely on the most for your life to be okay, that is your God functionally. Nobody talks as well about this, in my opinion, as Tim Keller on idolatry who who wrote, what is an idol or another God? It is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give what you seek to give you what only God can give. He goes on, a counterfeit God. Is anything so central uh, central and essential to your life that should you lose it, you would feel that your life was hardly worth living? An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you will spend most of your passion on it and your energy, your emotion, and your financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be your own family. It can be your children. It can be your career. It can be making money. It can be achievement, it can be critical acclaim, it can be social standing, it can be a romantic relationship, it can be peer approval, it can be being known as competent and skillful, it could be secure and comfortable circumstances to live in, it can be your beauty, it can be your brains, it can be a great political or social cause. It can be your morality or your virtue or even success in Christian ministry. Ouch, by the way. Yeah, I think, that, I think, we're, I think we're, we are tempted by this, what's going on in the book of Judges all the time. You've got to understand who Baal was. Baal, and the way these idols in the Old Testament work, you know, Yahweh says, you shall have no other gods before. You give me total allegiance. There aren't any other gods. It's me 
plus nobody. Baal and Asherah, you can have as many of those as you want, and you get to customize your religion. You get to pick the gods you want, ready for this, based on what you want out of life. You're sovereign. You're in control. And then you lose control when you give your hearts to idols. Who was Baal? Baal was the rain god and the fertility god. Let, let me explain this to you. Baal was the one that, that was said to, to bring that rain and so that the crops could be big. To bring that fertility so that the herds, you know, if you're a herdsman or a herdswoman, that the herds would, would multiply. Y'all, in an agrarian society, this is big. Big crops, big herds are big. And, and so, basically, to worship the Baals and the Ashtoreths meant you could focus religiously, religiously on what you really want out of life anyway, which is money in this case, which is security in this case, which is comfort in this case. And all that money can bring. Why don't we just go ahead and bring this into the 21st century and let's just go ahead and call Baal the cash god. That's who he is. He's the cash god. Because when your crops are big, you get to sell them and it's big cash. Nothing wrong with cash unless that's your god. When the herds are multiplying and, and you get to sell them, that is, that is big cash. And look, Baal worship wasn't just for farmers. And weren't, weren't just for these herdsmen. No, people in the city loved Baal as well and loved the prospect because when those crops were big and, and those herds were multiplying and there was, those farmers were flush with cash, guess what? They came to town and they spent money. And you could have a stall in the local bazaar. You could have a stall in the local market and just love you some Baal worship. Because the fertility God has, has brought a, a financial infusion into society, money into your pocket, and all that brings, whatever that is for you this morning. People are the same today as they were then. There are so many other gods. So we, we kind of move from, from disinterest to displacement. They kind of disconnect from Yahweh and they just full on turn to Baal. And Astra, they'll, they'll still mix them. Don't worry, they'll still come to church and mix some Yahweh in. Man, you read the Old Testament, it's just like up in your grill. It's all good, by the way, stay with me. Secondly, they move from displacement of God in, in worshiping idols to what great dis distress. So Yahweh says, okay, okay, have it your way. See how it works out without me. Knock yourself out. Go ahead and serve the bales. Go ahead and serve money. Remember, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Go ahead. And the word in chapter 3 is this. They forgot God. It doesn't mean that their memory banks were erased. What it means 
is that God was not no longer on the frontal lobe of their brain. They, they left, they, they, uh, and it says a few sentences later, they abandoned God. They forgot Him. He was no longer their focus. They had moved on to Baal and all that He could, he could bring. They had turned their backs on Yahweh and, and, and God says, okay, Judges 3, 7, they forgot the Lord their God and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and He sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. You know, in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis has this great thing about, you know, how we kind of choose hell because we choose ourselves. Basically, C.S. Lewis says the worst thing you could ever hear from God is, okay, your will be done. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, like, I'm totally engrossed. I'm in total reverence, totally lifting up your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Remember the, the next part? Your will be done. And man, God just said to, to Israel, okay, okay, your will be done. And their will was to drink their fill of false gods and to serve them just like we do sometimes. We often rely on one of the big three. The big three, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I'm talking about all of us. Basically, money, sex, or power. You want to figure out what your, what your gods are? Just kind of look through the, 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 the grid of money, sex, and power, and you'll probably get some hints. You know, what, what, what we're relying on. So they moved from being distracted to disinterest to full-on displacement with idols. And God basically says, have it your way. And um, our way of self-seeking just brings emptiness and disappointment for this simple reason. False gods cannot deliver what they promise or what we think they promise what we think money we think uh pleasure we think power uh all these things they they simply cannot deliver and what what happens is we we move into uh, out of distraction into displacing god and you know what they don't deliver and we're just emptier than we were before we started so we got to crank that up and we got to move on even deeper into that idolatry and it is a vicious cycle where our hearts just get drawn further and further away from the God of grace, the God who loves us. And, and, and these gods, these idols cannot, cannot give us what we really need. And you know, there's a word for where, where they lead us. And the word is right here in Judges. And the word is slavery. A kind of slavery that you can't get out of. And that's exactly when God said, okay, your will be done. Notice what happened. They... They went into slavery. I mean, isn't there an irony about that? I mean, this is the God who I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He just threw him off. And they're back into slavery. And Judges 2.15 says it this way, and they were in great distress so from displacement to distress and then finally from distress to deliverance told you it's going to get better 
deliverance. They no longer had God to fight for them. If you were here last week, you learned that the Canaanites had iron chariots. The Canaanites were so far militarily superior to the Israelites, it was ridiculous. This little shepherd nation is like really going to take on this superpower with iron chariots, which is like an M1 Abrams tank that can destroy anything. It's not happening. The whole thing about Jericho, the whole thing about the fall of those Canaanite cities in Joshua is all wrapped up in these words, the Lord has given your enemies into your hand. It was only because of the power of God who's greater than iron chariots. And man, once God was removed from that equation... It's over. Iron chariot, like in the rock, paper, scissors of the ancient world, iron chariots do that. And that's exactly when God got thrown off. No longer did he fight for Israel. And they were defeated and they went into slavery. But then, for eight years, they were in slavery, we read. And then... They decided in their misery, kind of like the prodigal son eating after the pigs, he finally looks up and he says, comes to himself and says, I need to go back to my dad because even if I work for him, I don't have to eat after the pigs. Then they decided they needed Yahweh, God, again. Then they saw the bankruptcy of the Baals. The Baals had not kept them from military defeat. The Ashtoreth did not keep them from slavery. Why? Because they're false. They're made up. They're just a projection of what we really want. Just like our more sophisticated gods of, of money and pleasure and power are to us today judges 3 9 but then, but when the people of israel cried out to the lord the lord raised up a deliverer for the people of israel who saved them othniel there's the first judge othniel the son of kenaz caleb's younger brother remember joshua and caleb of that generation this is caleb's younger brother's son you know in mississippi we talk like that so-and-so's younger brother's son otherwise known as my cousin Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel and he judged Israel, he led Israel, he went out to war and the Lord gave that king of Mesopotamia into his hands. Wow, it was just like the conquest of Canaan. It was just like back in the book of Joshua when they turned back to the Lord and his hand prevailed. And so the land rested from its enemies for 40 years. Here's the good news. God is God. There is a creator. There is something transcendent. There, there is right and wrong because, and not just opinions, because there's a transcendent right and wrong. There is a notion of beauty because there is a transcendent beauty. There is love because there is a transcendent love. There is a God who feeds all that is right and good and blessed and wonderful down to us. His creatures whom he loves from the Garden of Eden. He has wanted to embrace a people for himself. He has wanted to know us and for us to know him and be 
provided for by Him and led by Him and delighted in by Him. God is God and He wants you to know Him. And and in the deliverance that the, the 15 and all judges bring, all of this book, when you boil right down, only points to a need. Uh, Richard Pratt, my professor in Old Testament, said that the book of Judges is a polemic. It is an argument for the kingship. In those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges is screaming, we need somebody other than us. We need a king. And then when they got a king, they got Saul. That wasn't too good. And then they got a king named David, a man after God's own heart. Now we have that, that, that point of worship. Now we have that point. But you know, even David, he fell, didn't he? Like we do. And he failed. And so what this is really pointing to is a king that will not fail. Will not fall. A, a king that only God could be that king for Israel and for us, the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, has provided for our salvation, not just judges for 40 years of peace, His own Son, the divine Logos, the divine Son of God, who is also very, very human, taking our place on the cross so that this barrier between us and God that is always there because he is holy and majestic, this barrier was removed by God's love, by God himself, so that our sin and our shame could be dealt with and removed and we could be embraced by this God who created us to know him and to be loved by him, delighted in as his precious sons and daughters by him. That's what we're made for, you see. So, let's recommit on this Mother's Day. We'll just start with that. Let's recommit to teach our children the Word of God so that they might know about God and what God has done and that they might know God. But now, you see the table before us? This is a perfect time for the communion, this passage. Because remember they forgot God? Now, let's reconnect with the desire to know Him more intimately by remembering him. Let those who know him remember him and commune with him this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we just see our own hearts written all over this book. Thank you that you are a God that all throughout the book of Judges shows that you love sinners like us. That you are God who has promised us and you're not going to ever break your promises. You are a long-suffering and patient Father. You're always moving toward us. And even this morning as you are moving toward people in different ways, God, would you just open hearts and pour in your grace, pour in remembering, 
pour in yada, knowing. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done as the, the, the true king that we need, what he's done on the cross, and you want Christ, you want that relationship, you want to know God, pray with me, Lord, I, I see it, I can't do this on my own, and I want to turn from everything that I have called Christianity, and everything that I have called religion, and I want to turn to you, Jesus, away from myself, and put my trust in what you've done for me. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now I've, I've begun the new life of the Spirit, the new resurrected life of knowing you. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you many years, and, and just like the Israelites, we feel the tug, we feel the pull of idols, the idols of our time and the idols we personally seek. Lord, would you help us to see the bankruptcy of those idols? Would you help us to see that knowing you and worshiping you and having you in the first place in our hearts allows us to understand how to properly interface with all those other things in ways that are, are blessed. And so, God, even as we come to the table this morning, help us to remember you and help us to put our faith in your provision for us, even as we spend time with you around this table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.